The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Roads Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and backroads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome to Trip Talk once again, everybody. Always love to have you with us along for the ride, as it were. Today, we're going to throw some love at Oregon, the Beaver State. We've done our fair share of shows about the Pacific Northwest, and why not? We are headquartered here on the air at AM 1150, Alternative Talk in Seattle. But beyond KKNW, of course, once the show airs live, it's converted to a podcast. You can get it anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Today, we're going to talk with a lady who is a multi-published author. She is very highly regarded. She is very well-traveled, and she has that yen for curiosities. I happen to share that, and a lot of our listeners do as well. Harriet Baskus is the author of several travel books, including Oregon Curiosities, Quirky Characters, Roadside Oddities, and other offbeat stuff. It's a definitive collection of the Beaver State's odd, wacky, and most offbeat people, places, and things. Harriet also is an award-winning public radio report producer. Rather, For more than 20 years, her radio stories on unusual museums, airports, and other topics aired regularly on National Public Radio's All Things Considered famous show and on other nationally distributed public radio programs. Harriet Baskus has also served as the general manager of several public radio stations, including KBCS in Bellevue, Washington, KBOO in Portland, Oregon, and KMUN in Astoria, Oregon, a station she put on the air. We're delighted to have you with us, Harriet Baskus. Thanks for joining us on Trip Talk. Very excited to be here. All of that writing, all of that traveling, you have endless curiosity. I envy you your opportunities to go to so many places, and maybe that's a good place for us to begin. That'll be our trailhead here for our conversation, Harriet. What was it about the open road, the various states with their quirks, their offbeat characters and places, and all those curiosities that got so much into your soul that you made a habit out of going on these pilgrimages? Well, I have to tell you that I'm an East Coast kid. I grew up on the East Coast. And when I first moved to Portland, Oregon in 1980, that's how old I am, um, I really didn't quite understand, like, out west and pioneers. And I wanted to go see the ocean. And I got stuck at the, the Pioneer Museum in Tillamook, Oregon. And in Tillamook, the museum is just chock full of curious things. And I realized oh, that's what they mean by the pioneers that I read about in my uh, history books growing up. So I just got kind of already, as soon as I moved out here, off on a different track. And I had to keep going. If they had cool things there, where else did they have stuff? I would see where that would become what some of my radio colleagues in the past used to call the sickness, and it's really nothing sick at all, but it certainly gets into your blood. And you're a radio lady. You know what I'm talking about. There is a groove you get into, and it takes you on all of these adventures. And then, lucky us, we get to hear about it on the air. And that's never truer than in the case of Oregon, which I must tell you, Harriet, is a, a state that I love. I've been there numerous times. I've been up the coast I have been through Central Oregon, of course, little time in Portland, though not as much as I would prefer, and time in Eastern Oregon as well. 
with all the curiosities that are offered there, it filled your book, which isn't a booklet. It's a full-size book. And I'm happy to say, yes, it's out of print, but that's not the good news. I mean, maybe it'll get back in an updated version. You never know. But I found it on Kindle. And I thought, Perfect. okay, that's a great way to go and carry it along with you. It's so portable. But all of these curiosities, there are many more, I have to say, Harriet, than I expected to find in Oregon or in, in any similar size state. It carries that, that weight and the joy of its history from place to place as you go along. Absolutely. And it's also representative of the types of people who live there and, um, and the obsessions that they have. It definitely does. And then, of course, I'm thinking, uh, for example, about the and we can go all over here. I, I was racking my brain trying to figure out which places I would get to in the span of uh, less than a half hour to talk about all of this. But you have someone who actually back in the day, you could do this, a man who was a pioneer in his own right. And he found himself a large tree and either he hollowed it out or it was an empty space where he could go into the stump. And he referred to that as his castle. Absolutely, and that was at the Tillamook Pioneer Museum, a perfect example. And um, again, the fact that they called that maybe the first rental property um, in, the, in um, Oregon, and there's a picture that shows three or four women uh, fingertip to fingertip in the doorway of that old stump, basically, that he lived in. That's a real thing. <laughs> And the stump is no longer there. When you read the book, you find out these things, but they recreated it. Yes, because if you don't come from this place or you don't see old growth trees, you can't imagine that somebody could have ever lived quite comfortably, I guess, inside the stump of a tree. If you had a mind to do that, maybe you could make yourself comfortable. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> A few weeks ago, Harriet, I talked to somebody about attractions in Idaho, and in particular, we mentioned, and I was really astonished at the time, and maybe I shouldn't have been because here's another one like it. They have the Clean Museum. It's the Museum of Clean, and I think it's in Pocatello, Idaho, if I recall correctly. And then I look at your book, and I see there's a vacuum cleaner museum on Grand and Couch in Portland. Now we're talking about the metro area where people who visit Oregon are likely to go predominantly because it's Portland, Oregon. I had no idea, having been there myself several times, that there was even a vacuum cleaner museum anywhere. Well, it's in the back room of a vacuum cleaner store that's been there for a very long time. And I think it started because as they were selling new vacuums to people, people didn't want to let go of their old ones. So they said, we'll put it in a museum. And they started amassing a collection that's now like over 300 um, pieces, examples from the very basic ones that didn't do anything to um, more modern ones that... Um, we might, we might still have in our closet, some of us. Well, that and it should eventually wind up in the museum, I would hope. Exactly. <laughs> well, one, matter of fact, what you write is that one vacuum actually doubled as a hairdryer. I mean, come on. That's for yeah. real? Well, think about it. They were just motors. If you can put a motor on something, you can uh, dry your hair. There was one that worked as a clothes dryer. There was one that also worked as a... Um, you could put your feet on it and kind of air out your, your feet a little bit. So, yeah, it was just multiple uses um, in the same way that I guess some other um, mechanical things might have more than one use. It was a way to just sell it, I'm sure. 
and another one did double duty as a clothes dryer. That's amazing. That's worth a yeah. trip. Absolutely. These are the out of out of the way places. Otherwise, you'd be flying over them. But if you're in a car or a motorcycle or a bicycle and you get to these areas, you can check out some amazing places that are right there waiting to be discovered. For example, staying with Portland here, Harriet, people can go to almost 300 parks in the greater Portland area. Almost 300 parks including the world's smallest park. Tell us about that. Okay, so that is called Mill Ends Park, and I think they renovated it a couple of years ago. But it's two feet in diameter, and it's on the median um, on a street that's like down by the waterfront there on the, the business side of Portland. And um, I think it started as a joke in the, in the 1940s, um, and then the city actually adopted it in 1976 as made it an official park. And they did it on St. Patrick's Day, because maybe because they thought, well, leprechauns might live in this tiny little park. So now they celebrate St. Patrick's Day there every year. And people get married there. People go and decorate it. Um, it's just kind of, it's like a perfect example of Portland quirk, Portland weirdness. Thank you. You took the words right out of my mouth, Harriet, because those who have not been to Portland, you hear a term like Portlandia. There was that TV show a while back. When you go to Portland, don't be too surprised to run into a lot of this sort of thing because quirk is cool in Portland, Oregon, in a way that is charming and engaging. And if you haven't been there, you owe it to yourself to go and have that experience because it's all around the metro Portland area. And as we discover also throughout Oregon. So th there's such a list here. I want to go through this compendium as well as I can or as completely in a short interview here, Harry. I think we're going to have to have you back and we'll, we'll <laughs> take some time. We could do a whole podcast just about the Oregon coast. I had that in mind. So maybe I'll move on to some other places and we'll do that one another time. But it's the quirky stuff, like you say, the Paul Bunyan statue. I didn't know they had one of those. I guess this one is, is it in the Kenton neighborhood of Portland? Yeah, so it's kind of an inner inner neighborhood of Portland. I'm used to, I mean, we've got Paul Bunyan statues all over the Midwest and the West, but here's one right in Portland, and it's in a urban neighborhood, 31 feet tall. It was built in 1959 to honor Oregon's timber history and the Oregon Centennial Expo Exposition. And he looks just like, I think he's got kind of a funny uh, grin on his face, but he looks like Paul Bunyan. He's got a big lumberjack shirt, big black boots, a beard, and an axe. And I just love that it's in the neighborhood, and I think it's well cared for as well, which is nice. I would like to see that. Now, Paul Bunyan has an axe, but does he have an ox? Not that one, but other Not places that one. do. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that is amazing, 31 feet tall. In the greater Portland region, if you go, now I've been to the town of Hillsborough, lovely, and there's an agricultural, sort of an agrarian field there anyway, but they also have an airport in Hillsborough. Tell us about the muffler man, which I think if we're talking about the same thing, Harriet, the muffler man, that was, there's more than one of them. It was a kind of style of, of architecture that was built for marketing purposes if we are talking about the same critter. So there's um, a man in the 1960s who was a fan of the movie Harvey, which um, I think ha had something to do with a bunny. And um, he took an old muffler man that someone had brought in a statue that was supposed to promote, I guess, cars, a car place. And he 
was supposed to fix it, and they didn't want to pay his bill, so he kept it, and he put a bunny face on top of the Muffler Man statue, and it became, and it is, um, a well, an attraction on the highway called Harvey the Bunny Man. And it's still there, 2,500 pounds worth of the Muffler Man statue. Yeah. They, they serve different commercial purposes is what I understand about that. And it's a phenomenon in its own right, part of the roadside landscape of America. If you go to the town of Forest Grove, lovely little place, there is the world's tallest barber pole. What is it, 70 feet tall? It's 70 feet tall. It, it dates back to 1973. There's a barbershop quartet or a thing, and they have conventions all around the country. And when it was in, I think it was in Portland, the local barbershop, the quartet fans wanted to outdo San Antonio's biggest barber pole, which was only 40 feet tall. So they made one that's 70 feet tall, and it's just still there. It's just you can go visit it. Um, they didn't want to take it down, and, and it's, a, it's something to go see when you go to Forest Grove. And that's a good reason for keeping it, the local color, and it's a claim to fame. That's for sure. Exactly. You, you sent me some possible topics we could discuss. There's such a wealth of this. It's amazing. One place that apparently you haven't been to, and neither have I, but I definitely have it on my bucket list. I like the weird stuff. You know, things that get paranormal, yes, it, it definitely captures my interest. In the Mount Hood region near Portland, I understand that maybe this is in recent years, they put up a kind of Bigfoot museum? Yes, I think it's, it's associated with a TV show where they hunt Bigfoot, but I haven't been there yet, and I'd really like to go. So it's the North American Bigfoot Center, and it's dedicated to Sasquatch searches, sightings, and I think they've got some quote-unquote evidence of Sasquatch having come through. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean, that's part of our region, part of our uh, Northwest history. And a lot of people really believe Sasquatches exist, Sasquatch exists. Um, so it's a great place probably to go see and, and be with your people. I love the Sasquatch lore so much that I would definitely like to visit there. Frankly, I'm on the fence about whether or not it actually exists, but the stories of Bigfoot or prior to that Sasquatch, to use a Native American name, goes back so far that it is a deep history, and I find that compelling. It's also great if you go in and they have actual casts of the footprint. Yeah. Allegedly. That would that would just be an amazing thing. I, I know there's one in California. I've talked to the people who, and I haven't been there yet either. I, I've got to get, I live in Florida, so I've got to get out west to see some of these things, Harriet. But I know they have one uh, in the, I think, Santa Cruz area of California. And this sounds like it is akin to that. That's definitely worth seeing. A lot of our listeners would be excited by that. When you are traveling by road, now we're talking about a place where I have been and you have been, and there is a charm to it. There's a, a sense of patriotism as well, and it's just plain lovely. In the Wilsonville area, so that's a southern suburb, Wilsonville, you will, if you go to a roadside rest area, because that's where it's located, with an expanse of lawn in it, you have the restrooms there, an information kiosk, nice parking lot, and then you have the Grove of the States. And I get nostalgic just thinking about it. If people are new to it, what is the Grove of the States? Well, it is, it was, as you said, it was sort 
sort of patriotic. So in 1967, dates back to then, um, the National Association of Attorneys General were meeting in Portland, and they wanted to do something to commemorate that. So they made in this rest stop a grove of states, and they put in or they planted a tree representing every state. Um, and unfortunately, um, they didn't keep in mind that trees grow. <laughs> and unfortunately, some trees that grow in other states don't grow in in our climate. So over the years, some of the trees died, some of them got too big to be next to each other. And so um, over the years, it kind of got in disrepair, but they're working on restoring it and fixing it and replanting it. So it's really lovely. And it's the only one um, of its kind in our country. So it's kind of cool that it's there and it's just an arrest stop unless you knew to go visit it. You might just go to the restroom and then go. So it's pretty cool roadside attraction, literally. Well, pardon the pun, but even if you don't have to go, you ought to go. Because <laughs> at this rest area, Grove of the States is unique. And it, it becomes a walking path. I mean, when you're walking past these trees, it's a little loop. And you go through it. It is a grove, after all. And then nearby, if they, it's still the way it was when I was there about 12 or 13 years ago, you could see this expanse of lawn. Maybe you're walking your dog. Maybe you just want to get a little exercise, stretch your legs. You can do that. And it's near the tree line so that you have all of that Oregon greenery right there at a place where you wouldn't ordinarily expect to find something so attractive. But it's a beautiful place. And Oregon, in my opinion, has some of the best rest areas areas anyway. They're not all equal among the states. This I have discovered. But in mm -hmm. Oregon, they put a lot of loving care into providing this for the traveling public. Perfect. And this is a great example of it. Yeah. Best one I've found. That's for sure. If we were to be in the Hood River area, there is the Hood River County Historical Museum. Now, this is going to be interesting. If you're a reader of Harriet Vasquez, you might be looking for this in the future. It might be in an article. It might be on the radio. But it turns out that Harriet has a really interesting obsession, and that is really, really old food. Tell us about that. Well, um, in doing, in going to a lot of museums, I started asking questions about what was in the back room of museums, and it turns out a lot of museums have things they don't show you, and some of that is food that people have kept and collected and brought to their local museum. And so at the Hood River County Historical Museum, right up front, they have in this tiny little like jewelry, glass jewelry box, box a piece of um, wedding cake from a local couple from 1887. Um, and it's just very, it charms me that it's there, that it got passed down clearly from generation to generation and at some point brought to the museum. And now it's part of history. It holds a piece of history for that community and clearly for that family. And I just, I've been looking for more and more of those examples and there's a lot of them. This one item there at the Hood River County Historical Museum appears to be a fruit cake or some sort of fruity cake that's seen better days. Yeah. I mean, and it's sitting on a doily. It actually is in one, <laughs> is, of all the old food I've come across, it's actually in pretty good shape. And I think the reason why a lot of um, wedding cake that it still exists, if they were fruit cake, they were preserved, made with a lot of alcohol, and that's what keeps them around. I see. Sure, I can see how they would preserve yeah. that. 
that would be fun to see. Absolutely. Now let's get a little bit weird. We have all these places to go through. I'm just blowing through them. It's amazing to me in one state. How about the Oregon Vortex in Gold Hill, Oregon? And I'm pretty sure I've heard about this sort of thing elsewhere, Harriet. There, uh, I think in Ohio, they have these sorts of places. It's just a matter of the physics, the geography, a local spot. And it turns out with the Oregon Vortex, the Beaver State has one of its own. Exactly. And it's and I love this because it is that, as you say, kind of that kind of place where you stare at there, almost, almost like an old style attraction. And this one dates back to the 1930s. And it's very corny and it's very curious. But it is so much fun if you kind of um, kind of let yourself enjoy it when you go in there. It's one of those places where balls roll uphill. If you go there, stand next to someone who on outside the vortex is taller than you, then you'll be taller than them inside the vortex. Um, like weird things happen, weird um, cycles of, of power and physics nobody can explain um and it's just really a fun place and it was for sale a couple of years ago and i really wanted to buy it but um i would have had to get divorced and move there so i had to let it go (laughs) (laughs) and and so you didn't take ownership of what you refer to as a whirlpool of force yes i would have loved to but i wanted to make sure they didn't close it so i know they didn't i haven't closed it so that's the best i could do that it's is really interesting. Fun. Yeah. Oh, I can admit that's one of those places. In fact, there are some of us boomers who can recall trips to Knott's Berry Farm in Southern California, a mecca of pop culture. And they had one of these set up where a broom would stand up on its own. There would be these very interesting uh, seeming uh, places or items that would defy the laws of physics. And they set that up as an attraction within the Knott's Berry Farm complex there. I can remember that from when I was a little kid. But this is out here in Gold Hill, Oregon. And there are other places around the country where you see these these laws of physics seemingly defied, but actually it's it's uh, an illusion that is worth experiencing because it is so uncommon. It's just that it can exist and it's there for you to discover. Yeah. I also wanted to uh, look at Central Oregon a little bit here while we have time. Redmond, Oregon, a lovely town. I have been there, stayed overnight. I thought that was just beautiful. But I didn't get to the Peterson Rock Garden and Museum. If I had known about it in advance, I would have gone there. <laughs> so this is a place, see, what I worry about is some of these places may not be there the next time you have a chance to go through. And this is an example of it. This was a, a man, Rasmus. Peterson in the 1930s and 40s, he had a ranch or a little farm, and he got it into his head that he should start building things. And he started going out into the, um, the woods, or the, and he would come back with rocks and, and um, petrified wood and all sorts of things. And he started building rock formations of things on his land. And he built castles and churches and a Statue of Liberty and a U.S. flag made out of different pieces of rocks. And so you can go around this property, and he has a museum with, like, uh, glow-in-the-dark rocks in the inside. Um, and so it was kind of like the vortex. It was a place that was very well cared for, and, and you would go to um, and, and see the peacocks going around. But he died, and his family over the years has had a hard time maintaining it. And it's not like Disney World. It's not like a big attraction. So it's hard to keep these places maintained but it's just it's just charming and i wish 
I hope and wish people will go there so that it stays around. These are the places we like to talk about during these extraordinary times, Harriet, where people aren't going much of anywhere. There appears to be the launch of a slow reopening of our country and our economy. But people are leery about travel. Will they get a summer road trip in, for example? I certainly hope to take one, but I have to be very careful like anyone else. When I think about these curiosities, and again, I'd like to mention this book. Yes, it may be out of print, but you can still score a copy if you go to Amazon.com, and that becomes your little treasure if you can get it in the paper version, but it's available on Kindle. That is the good news. It is available on Kindle, and it is certainly worth it because there is so much richness to this book and to the state of Oregon, particularly seen from this oddball angle. The book is Oregon Curiosities, quirky characters, roadside oddities, and other offbeat stuff. You said something important, Harry, and that is it's good to support these, A, for the experience of seeing it, but also because they may not be around forever. They pretty much have to take these donations from people, and survival is a matter of catch-as-catch-can in many cases. Yes, and in many cases, their their labors are of love or somebody's collection that got out of hand becomes a museum. Um, and that's what's so intriguing to me. You know, they're, they're not people who are out to make a lot of money. They just love these things or these places. Um, and like us, I guess, they want it to be there. Yes, it becomes a happy obsession, that's for sure. Well, to those of you who know Harriet Vasquez, this may be yesterday's news, but tomorrow's news and down the road as we look at... Uh, at further editions of American Road Trip Talk, I'm going to be inviting Harriet Vasquez back with us because, among other things, she wrote a book about curiosities in Washington State. And our broadcast, as earlier mentioned, is headquartered in Seattle. And the evergreen state doesn't take a backseat to anyone when it comes to the wild, wacky, and weird. And Harriet, thank goodness, was there to chronicle it through her own travels. In fact, are you not a lady of Seattle residence now? That's right. And as soon as I'm allowed out, I'm going back out to, to visit some of these places. That's what I'm uh, yearning for from my time inside. And for a lot of millions and millions of us as well, you know, we're, we're still leery as we should be. We need to be cautious. But despite taking care, we also are fantasizing about the next road trip where we can get out and roam about the country. Harriet, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And I mean it, we definitely will have you back. And let's talk about Washington State curiosities next time. It would be a real pleasure. Great. A lot of fun. Thank you. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue of American Road. Until next week, drive safely and dream well.